Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, the radio chick, Annie Ubellis. Join Annie on Tuesdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time with an open chat room full of her regulars. And yes, you can even call in. Call 917-889-3675. That's 917-889-3675 to be a part of the action on the phone line. Not able to listen live? Not a problem. You can always catch Annie, the radio chick, and Southern Sense Talk Radio podcast in archives at southern-sense.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Southern Sense the right way. Listen, guys, I got something special just for my listeners. If you follow me, you know I usually don't hawk products. I stick to the issues important to you and me. But I think I can't keep this to myself. You may want to check this out and get in on the ground floor before everyone else jumps on the bandwagon. Now, this is just for you, my listeners. I joined up with Team Earth Water. Earth Water is a company that is faith-based and patriotic. Earth Water is an amazing water. It will soon be the rage of the nation and is going worldwide. It has over 70 antioxidants and minerals. It's good, trust me. I already sleep better. I dropped one of my prescriptions, and I'm possibly looking to maybe drop another one soon. So ask yourself, do you want to make a few extra bucks on the side while getting healthier? <laughs> Who doesn't? So if so, check out the Earth Water link on my homepage at Southern Sense. That's the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Hi, and welcome to another rocky adventure on Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star, Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, all the heck with it. You know what I'm going to say. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the mostest, the radio chick, Annie, along with my courageous co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. <laughs> Good afternoon, Curtis. Oh, you went back to oh, my man. old, <laughs> old <laughs> courageous, huh? <laughs> I thought you had give me a new one, but I tell you who, oh. who is courageous, and that's the people over there, um, Hawaii, that's facing this um, this hurricane named Lane, I believe. Those are the courageous ones. Oh yeah, and our prayers go out to them. Having sat through one of those, actually sat through two of them. Uh, in a row here in South Carolina, one after another. Uh, so my prayers do go out with them. Um, hopefully the mountains there will help break it up too, so it won't be as horrific as, as the, yeah. some people may think it may be. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. want to welcome everyone that's listening in in the uh, chat room and that's listening in up on YouTube and Facebook also. Welcome, welcome, welcome. we got a lot to talk about today, so much that is going on, and news is breaking nonstop. Uh, our first guest today is going to be Emery McClendon. I've known this man for quite a few years, and uh, 
I'm proud to call him friend. He runs a group called Armad.net, uh, which is a ham radio uh, thing where once a year they salute all the military using ham radios. And it's a really an amazing thing that he does. Uh, he was a Tea Party founder, uh, military man, uh, former law enforcement, gad around town. So he'll join us in the first half. Second half is your friend, uh, Curtis, and I, I'm hopefully he'll be mine. Congressman Ted Yoho <laughs> is returning. And, oh, man, all the stuff that is going on. Holy cow. There's going to be a plethora of things to talk about today. Uh, yeah, that maybe, said, he, maybe uh, he can give us some insight on um, um, McCain's absence, you know, since it looks like he won't be returning. Maybe he can give us some insight on who might replace him. Uh, that would be a good question because it would be he would be replaced by uh, appointed by the governor of um, Arizona. And oops, I forgot to turn down my my phone. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Um, <laughs> we could discuss that with him. Yes, uh, I'm just trying to get my phone turned down. Ah, no, I don't want to answer this. I don't want to answer this. <laughs> I forgot to turn my phone off. Sorry, folks. <laughs> anyway. Um, it looks like McCain, we're now at the final stages with him. He has uh, decided not to do any more uh, uh, cancer treatments, which means it's just it's now a watch, uh, just a matter of time, maybe today, tomorrow, who knows, maybe next week. Uh, but yeah. that is it for McCain. Uh, so honestly, when he was diagnosed, he should have stepped down at that point. So much more could have really, been done really. in the Senate if we had someone that was there to vote. Uh, but I'm not going to speak ill of someone who's about to pass away, but there was, I have a lot of problems with McCain. You know, thank you for your service. Thank you for, you know, volunteering to become a senator. Uh, but the time is now that we're getting ready to say goodbye, sir, and my best wishes to your family. That said, those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to police officer Andres Laza Caraballo of the Juncos Municipal Police Department in Puerto Rico. His end of tour was Wednesday, March 21st, 2018. And forgive me if I butcher his name. Um, However, all the news articles I could find, they were very scarce. And what I could find were written in Spanish. And thanks to Google Translation, I had a rough translation of several articles which I then compiled into uh, my narrative from what I could understand. And it, what I wrote reads, a person was charged in Abstria for the murder of police officer Andres Laza Caraballo of the John Coe's Municipal Police Department in Puerto Rico on March 21st of 2018. He surrendered to authorities after his mother negotiated through the local Catholic church with the Division of Drugs and Narcotics agent Julio Mundo. Luis A. Vanilla Vera, alias Luigi 23, is held on an $8 million bond on the charges of first-degree murder, attempted murder, weapons possession, and other minor charges. On March 21st, Officer Laza Caraballo was having his hair cut at the Edwin Blue Barbershop while off-duty. A group of four men were in front of the shop smoking marijuana. 
The owner left his client in the barber's chair to confront and exchange words, asking them to leave and then returning inside the shop to resume the customer's haircut. Three of the men were brothers. 19-year-old Carlos Diaz followed the owner inside with two others, confronting the owner. One is believed to have punched him, while two others threatened him with rifles. Officer Laza Caraballo confronted the three and exchanged gunfire. Carlos Diaz died at the scene, along with Officer Laza Caraballo. Santa Diaz, 18, was wounded and taken into custody, also charged with first-degree murder, attempted murder, weapons possession, and other minor charges. Luigi fled the scene, resulting in a massive manhunt and his ultimate surrender. Officer Lanza Caraballo was 31 years old and served 10 years on the police department. He leaves behind two young children. Whether on or off duty, a cop is always a cop, sworn to protect and serve, ready to place their life on the line to protect yours. Police Officer Andres Laza Caraballa, Shield Number 162. Stand down, officer. You are end of tour. Police Officer Andres Laza Caraballo, rest well. Job well done. Today's show is dedicated to this magnificent officer. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve in the military from the birth of this nation through today and into its future. We dedicate to them the song by Todd Allen Herndon, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one. Born in the grip of oppression, I fought for my liberty. I paid with the blood of my people. Freedom has never been free. Now my door's always open to dreamers and friends. When I'm attacked, I protect and
others gave it to me. They believe in the virtues I stand for. I respect for humanity. Now I'm challenged by tyrants who envy my power, but their vicious deeds become my finest hour because my to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, The Lone Star, Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, all the heck with it. Go to the name of the show, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. And we're back live with the radio chick, me, Annie, along with courageous C.S. Curtis Bennett. Curtis, we've got <laughs> our, our first victim of the day on the line, and he actually fooled me, changed his phone number, and I didn't know it. Uh, so I have to now update my address book. So welcome. But we lost him. He was just there. He was just there. Oh, we'll he get just him dropped back. Off. <laughs> That's not fair. Come on, guys. Uh, well, I was going to welcome aboard Emery McClendon, but he's got to call back now. Uh, and you dropped, Emery. You dropped. So call back. <laughs> Yeah, it uh, could be storming where he is. Uh, he's out in. Um, oh, good lord! Just just had a brain fart here. So let's try this one more time. Emery, are you with us? Yes, I am. How are Hello? you doing? Uh, I was. Yes, yeah, I've got you. Can you hear us? Yes. Loud Can you hear us, Emery? Okay. Okay, great. I was saying that you you fooled me. I went to call you on the phone, and your phone number changed. You said, what the heck? You fooled me. So i got to get your new number down so to remember what it is. So welcome aboard. Um, there is so much to talk to you about. Uh, you write with the Politichicks and several other different uh, uh, periodicals online. Uh, you are the founder of Armad, which uh, has that magnificent military day that you do with ham radio. You are a founder of the Fort Wayne 
Is that right, Fort Wayne? Uh, Tea Party. Uh, you are were military. You're a veteran. You're a former law enforcement. What haven't you done in your life? Oh, quite a bit. <laughs> Just novice, but um, I'm happy to be able to do whatever I can do for our country and for our community. And um, I just try to do whatever I can to uh, keep this country great and to make America uh, a proud place for our kids and for our our grandkids and for every American. That's my heart's desire, is that America will continue to prosper and continue to be a great country for each and every one of us. Well, that puts us directly into my first question I wrote down for you. And, you know, I never do a scripted show. I just give myself some notes to work off of. But we are going to have a lot to talk about this. You know, we both have seen, you and I, we're Tea Party founders. We saw the rise and fall of the Tea Party. Uh, with Trump now, we see now people are being enthused, but you don't see a resurgence of the Tea Party. Instead, we see the opposite. Under Obama, we saw the rise of the Black Lives Matter and Antifa. It's as if they're trying to kill the American dream. Uh, will we ever be able to turn the tide and bring back the same sentiment feeling we had with the rise of the Tea Party? Well, I thought about that for a lengthy period of time, and it's not so much um, that the um, Tea Party has fallen They've taken a different scope, and they've taken on a different meaning. And in some ways, it's good, and in some ways, it's bad. I think that um, one, of the, one of the things that hurt the Tea Party movement is that it did fail to continue to rally in the streets, to rally in communities nationwide, and to rally in, in large numbers in Washington, D.C. and other large metropolitan areas. However, what they have done that has been very successful is to go inside, do training, uh, educate their members, educate other people in the communities, get involved in the Get Out to Vote movement, get involved into educating people as to what uh, our government is all about, train people in public speaking, in writing skills, helping people to learn how to write letters to the editors, op-eds, and other different forms of communication as far as being on a live television being able to get our, our message out uh, to the media and to our communities. So in, in one sense, yes, uh, the Tea Party is still alive and well, but in another sense, we've lost our visibility as far as gathering in large numbers uh, so that the people can see us in, on, on the media outlets um, fighting for what we have been fighting for since the beginning back in 2009 when it first started. You know, it's it's funny because, you know, I've still maintained my Tea Party. Uh, I can't believe it's been nine years, and I've, I've managed to keep it going, uh, even though it's a, a one-person shop at this point, because I can't get people to back me up. I, and I'm finding that people are afraid to come forward simply because you've got the left and the progressives saying, oh, you're racist, you're part of the Antifa, you, you, you hate, you're a bigot, you're a Nazi, you're this and that. And it's a name-calling that really prevents people from coming forward, I think. Yes, the media have downplayed and, and uh, the, the movement as a whole. Every time we would gather, like in Washington, D.C., they'd be thousands and thousands of, of Tea Party movement people. They would downplay it and say that there wasn't that many people. There were only hundreds. And then on the other hand, you've had a, a large group of people who really were not into the movement per se uh, with their hearts. They were into it with their feet. 
They wanted to show up at a large event. They wanted the event to go over well, but after the event was over, they did not want to go out and do the work that it would take to keep things uh, alive in America. Uh, Very few people, and we see this all throughout history, we remember that this country was founded, and this country was basically, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, not only just founded, but there was only like a 3% of the population that went out and stumped real hard to get the things that we have here in America uh, in foundation and to start this country and and to make America the USA that it is today. So we find that we have a small group of people today that are still dedicated, that are still out there working, such as you and I and other ones, you know, as far as the conservative radio programs, TV programs, and so forth. The masses of the people have drawn back because their hearts were in just uh, these large rallies. They weren't into coming out and working and writing letters and, and making TV appearances, going to visit their congressmen, going to visit their mayors and their governors and so forth. Uh, going to the state houses and rallying uh, on a one-on-one basis. So we've got to find out some kind of a way to get the people back into doing things in mass numbers and and to get them motivated to do things even on a one-on-one basis because for each and every one of us that does something, we impact a lot of people here in this country and in our communities. We fought the month. I was just going to make a comment of first, Curtis, and I'll bring you on. Uh, it's called the monkey theory because they did an experiment in Japan, and they found out that if they taught a monkey one thing, he went out and taught 10 other monkeys, who then each individual taught 10 other monkeys. So we're, we're following the monkey theory where you and I speak out to one person. That person takes that idea and then spreads it out to 10 more people, and then it just blossoms. So I think this is the Trump phenomena that we have. Uh, go ahead, Curtis. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to ask, what impact do you think Obama's RRS had on the Tea Party when they held up all the paperwork for the Tea Party? And do you think that the Trump clubs are like a replacement for the Tea Party? Yeah, it had a very uh, negative impact on the uh, Tea Party uh, movement because a lot of people were destroyed their finances, their families, they lost their property, they lost businesses. Um, a lot of people who saw what was going on within the, the IRS movement uh, with the lowest learner and other people uh, inside of the IRS that tried to take down the Tea Party movement, either secretly or openly, had a great impact because it brought fear into the hearts of a lot of family people. A lot of the people that were out there in the Tea Party movement could not afford to have their finances destroyed. They could not afford to have the IRS on their backs. Uh, They could not afford to produce uh, all of the different types of paperwork that the IRS was demanding. I followed this very closely since I am a very avid um, worker and a spokesperson, and also I do a lot of um, writing and speaking and and, and hold a lot of rallies and training sessions and so forth for Tea Party Patriots, which is one of the largest uh, organizations within the Tea Party movement. And they tried to destroy not only that movement but other movements such as Freedom Works, you know, the Heritage Foundation and other movements. And, yes, I think we see a resurgence in the movement through these rallies uh, uh, for Donald Trump because uh, they're once again able to put their um, actions into their shoe leather. 
they don't have to say anything. They just have to show up. And showing up in large numbers uh, sends a message to the media that we're still out here and that we're still going to vote and support our president, a president who has turned things around as far as the economy, our military, uh, housing, employment. And uh, I, I think we're, we're, uh, we're seeing a resurgence, even though it's a different type of resurgence. Uh, it's different than the Tea Party movement where people actually went out and rallied in their communities around the state and in Washington, D.C. That was one of the questions I had in here, the uh, censorship we had, because I have a couple of friends that were victims of the IRS. You know, Myrtle Beach Tea Party was a huge, huge victim of that. And I know several of the local tea parties had closed down simply because of the IRS threat. And Fortunately for our group, we foresaw what was going to come, and we decided not to become a 501c3, but to remain a loosely associated group of friends. So there's no way they can ask us for um, any documentation whatsoever because we're not incorporated. We don't take donations, and all we do is just have a friendly meeting once a month. So what are you going to go after us for? So we were able to maintain our voice in the community. And I'm seeing recently uh, it's getting a little bit more respected than it has in the past because it's like, oh, those crazy Tea Party people, they're the really far right-wingers. You know, they're nuts. They hate everyone. They don't want anything to do with government. And some of the things that were said uh, about us and to us was, was, I shouldn't say shocking, but it's not something I expected from a civil society. Do you find that you still face that, Emory? Yeah, there is still some uh, misinformation, a lot of misinformation. And of course, it doesn't help any when the media uh, constantly bombards us with Antifa, Antifa and the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, the other resistance movements. They don't give us an opportunity on our college campuses, such as you know Ben Sapero and different other ones, uh, when they arrest people and throw them in jail, such as, um, 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 oh boy, Denise. Uh, D'Souza and different other ones, when they continually harass Tea Party groups, uh, this gives a negative um, uh, image to the Tea Party movement and to those who are in the Patriot movement, and even to the rallies that that, that the president is holding in in today's uh, uh, society. They lie about the numbers that show up at the rallies. They don't show the long, long lines that are outside even when the when the, when the uh, stadiums are full, and um, it's just a, a very negative um, um, approach that they're taking to try to downplay the movement. It, it works to a certain degree because a lot of people get their news from the mainstream media, and they believe this, but it's not working from our standpoint and from those who hear the president and from those who know that he speaks for us and for those that relate to him. They're turning out for these rallies. They're there by the thousands. They're there watching it on their televisions, on their, on their phones, on their tablets, on their computers. So we're seeing a red tide rising, and I think that the media, by them downplaying this, is not hurting us at all. It's actually helping us. Uh, that I completely agree with because I pulled out an article. Uh, this was from Daily Wire, and CNN used to be the top in all the uh, cable and satellite news networks. It's dropped down out of the top ten to number eight in prime time. Um, it's being beaten out by, believe it or not, HGTV, USA, and ESPN, History Channel, and Discovery Channel are out uh, uh, out viewing them. 
um, on total debuters, Nickelodeon is beating them. Investigation Discovery is beating them. And they're barely climbing above the USA TV channel. So people are starting to turn off the mainstream media and going to alternative news outlets. Right. And the thing with that, too, is as people go to um, uh, social media sites such as MeWe, uh, uh, Facebook, Twitter, now these um, organizations are getting together and they're trying to figure out ways to censor what our uh, point of view is over those uh, social media outlets. We've heard about what happened to um, the different conservative uh, groups. They want to shut those down. They also have gone to algorithms, whereas uh, they can limit what your audience can see or hear from you as far as your live Facebook post or your post in general. So they're always trying to figure out ways to shut us down, but they also are figuring out ways to promote the other side. So what we've got to do is we've got to hang in there. We've got to continue what we're doing, and we've got to find new avenues uh, to get our message out, and we got we have to also continue to use uh, the mainstream media outlets. We've got to learn how to better um, address our um, concerns through letters to the editors, through op-eds, through calling into radio shows. You know, who says that conservatives can't call in to liberal talk shows? Uh, liberals call in to conservative talk shows, and they stir up the bees' nest, so we should do the same thing. And at least it gets our message out uh, in a way that people can hear it. You know, I, I, I've um, personally... I've been on liberal talk shows, and I've also been on uh, conservative talk shows, so I, I'm at no limit. I mean, I'm not going to let myself be set up and, and, and uh, ambushed on one of these shows, but I will defend what I believe in just as one liberal will uh, defend what, what they believe in. We have no reason to back down because we know that we hold a message that will keep America together, and we should be proud of that message. Emory. Yeah, it's funny because uh, – Go ahead. Yeah, it has been a view um, on the Republican side that if we ever got 25% of the black vote um, from the Democrats, that they would pretty much be destroyed. Um, from recent polling that I've seen, seen uh, I think Trump is like at 36% um, black support. Shouldn't the Democrats be concerned? They should be concerned, but at the same time that uh, they realize that they're losing the black vote, they have pulled another hat, a uh, trick out of their hat, I should say, and that is they're bringing in uh, illegals. They're registering them to vote. They're giving them um, IDs. They're placing them in, in, in predominantly conservative districts. They're moving them around the country into states where, which were normally uh, quote-unquote red states, and they're, and they're trying to turn those states purple or blue. So they're always uh, uh, trying to figure things out a step ahead or two steps ahead of what we are. And to a certain degree, one of the things that conservatives do is we tend to follow rather than to lead. We've got to start thinking ahead. We've got to start thinking of ways to stay ahead of them just as they think of ways to sabotage the things that we're trying to do. So, yeah, I believe that um, if we can, can, can um, continue to push photo IDs, if we can continue to push uh, 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 
blocking and, and stopping illegal immigration, giving blanket amnesty and things like that, we will win and we will prevail. Prevail, And they know that. And that's why they're pushing so hard against um, uh, those type of activities, you know, within the voting community. But, yeah, you have a valid point there. And, and, and the, the upward rise of uh, people who are listening, especially black people who are listening to the message now, who are changing, who are coming out and saying that, hey, this president is doing a whole lot for us. You remember the statement that uh, the reverend made when he was in the White House. He said, this president may turn out to be the best president for blacks that we've seen in our lifetime. And many blacks are waking up and understanding that that is, in fact, a fact. Now, it's that walkaway movement said a lot uh, because there's a lot of people that are disenfranchised with these groups. Because you had the one guy that started the walkaway movement. Yeah, he's white. He's gay. He's a business owner, a responsible individual, and he says, well, I thought that they stood for everything I believe in, only to find out that it was all a lie. You had diamond and silk. Henry, do you have a speaker on or something? Because I keep on getting background noise here. Okay, hold on a minute. Okay. Um, As I was saying, you know, you've you've got the walk-away movement that started. You had diamond and silk. Uh, People like you, Curtis, have seen the disenfranchised become disenfranchised with the Democratic Party and the progressive left. It's not espousing uh, American ideals. Yeah, the walkaway movement is, is great, and I'm really glad that they came out with that because it gives us a chance to see, and it gives others who are maybe afraid a chance to uh, come out, quote-unquote, of the closet of liberalism and into the, the realm of conservatism. I uh, I made a video and I also wrote uh, an article about my uh, uh, coming out from uh, the Democrat uh, movement and how that was made possible and what I went through uh, from my early uh, youth until my adulthood. And I think that um, it's a great movement. It's a great opportunity for other people to see, and I think we should use that that movement to uh, bring others into the um, the conservative movement so that they can understand. When people can see and hear other people talk about what they've learned from their experiences of being uh, involved in liberalism or involved in, in how they were treated by um, the Democrat Party and then how they're treated differently by the Republican Party than what they were even told that, that they were going to be treated, it, it opens up a lot of eyes and it gives people an opportunity to say, hey, I can feel your pain. I feel and have gone through some of the same things that you've gone through. And I think that uh, there's a great opportunity there, and I think that uh, we are starting to use that a lot. I'm seeing a lot of uh, people share these uh, stories, and I'm seeing a lot of people that are responding to these stories. You know, it's it's funny because a number of years ago um, I had someone that I thought was a friend turn around and tell me, well, you have no idea what it means to be black in that be part of the slave culture and I'm looking at her and she's wearing the $700 fur coat and I'm wearing a $20 blue jean jacket that I could barely afford and I'm thinking uh-huh uh, so I don't know what it's like to be a little downtrodden uh-huh trying to script towards the end of the week just to get your bills paid uh-huh and you're wearing a $700 coat and saying I can't possibly imagine what it's like being on the flip side uh-huh <laughs> Unless you realize that we're all the same, it doesn't matter. We're all uniquely American. 
and they keep on trying to divide us. And we, we as conservatives, are trying to unite, and we're being fought tooth and nail. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the thing of it is, is that through dependency and and through receiving um, quote unquote free money from the government or being on government assisted programs, people are not learning what it means to have um, uh, personal responsibility and to strive for those things that you want to have as your dream. So they feel that since it's that way for them, it's also the same way for you. So they look down upon you, and, 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 and even though they're out buying, like you said, and wearing these expensive clothes and so forth, they don't seem to understand that not everyone is not working, not everyone is going through uh, a period where, uh, in time where they don't have to work to get money for themselves, but they're, they're trying to fend for their families. And, they're, and, and like, it's, like you said, you, you work from paycheck to paycheck, you try to pay your bills, you're trying to achieve the American dream, and you don't have any extra money because you're trying to build your American dream, buy a house, pay for a car, send your children to school and so forth. A lot of these people don't have those same responsibilities. They don't go to work every day. They don't have any bills to pay, you know, except very minimal ones. So, therefore, they look down upon us as, as um, being the same as them and not having any responsibilities. It, it's sort of a sad situation, and a lot of that, too, is caused by misinformation, by people holding grudges against the government, people holding grudges against a, a particular uh, uh, political party because they've been lied to and brainwashed about what the views of that party is rather than researching and finding out exactly what that party is all about and knowing which party has done what for each and every American. The Democrat Party has lied so often about what they've done and lied so much about what the Republican Party has done that history has been turned upside down, and we need to straighten that out. And a lot of us are, such as people like Denise D'Souza. We see Diamond and Silk speaking up. We see other uh, great American conservatives and organizations that are speaking up, and we've got to figure out a way to get people to listen. Oh, that is a huge amen on to that one. Go ahead, Curtis. Yeah, you know, I hear the left all the time, especially when I'm in the black community, how much they praise Obama. They almost treat him like a, a demigod. But the guy never did anything to advance, you know, the black community's um, situation. If anything, he expanded the welfare state. Now, you have a guy like Trump who comes along. I mean, unemployment in the black community goes down. Um, there's other things that, that he's doing that benefits the black community, yet there's such hatred. Even the con- Congressional Black Caucus is in on this hatred. I mean, when he had the State of the Union speech, they just sat there with, you know, on their hands. I mean, where, where is all this coming from, all this hatred? Well, it's all, it all comes from the fact of black camaraderie. What happens is you have a, a stereotype in the black community of the white community of leaders such as Donald Trump. You have a stereotype of leaders such as Barack Obama, Maxine Waters, maybe Sheila Jackson Lee, James Clyburn. You, we can go on and on and on. Cory Booker, uh, Camelia Harris. I mean, we could go on and on and on and on. And that stigma is they're black 
and that's all that matters. They don't look at what they believe in, what their philosophies are, what have they done for their communities, for their constituents. They don't look at that they're poverty pimps, that they're not going to ever raise a fist or a voice to do anything for you except to have you continue to vote for them so that they can keep becoming richer and richer and so that they can continue to have a place at the table so that they can be the leaders. That's the biggest problem that I think we have in the black community. They want to stick together simply because you're black. It's like I remember when I was growing up in the community, we would be outside playing, and all of a sudden somebody would, would, would yell out, somebody black is on TV, somebody black is on it, and everybody, the streets would clear out in about two seconds, and everybody would be in front of the TV simply because the person was black. It didn't matter what the message was. They could be on there saying, hey, we're going to give everybody uh, a chicken in every pot and a pair of new underwear to wear tomorrow. That's all that mattered was they were going to get something free and that it was coming from a black person. And that's what's wrong. We've got to look at what these people have done to us and for us in these communities. Many of these black leaders don't even live in the, in the, in the uh, districts where they're voted in. Many of them don't go back in and visit until it's voting time. And when they do, they lie about what they've done. They don't talk about um, their achievements. Many of them have never written a bill. Many of them have never tried to make any progress or fix things in the communities. We have rampant crime. We have rampant poverty. Children are going to uh, uh, substandard schools. You can't even stand out on a corner and wait for a school bus without getting shot. And they don't care. And it's a big problem in the black community. And people continually support these people simply because they're black. You know, you, you have a good point about being entrenched. And James Clyburn is a perfect example. He's been in office since 1991. And no matter what you try to do to run someone against him, it doesn't matter if it's male, female, black, white, orange, purple. It's, it's, it's a losing game because he's got himself so entrenched in that community. And it's like, well, you know, because he's black and it's a huge black population in this area that he covers. Um, you never see him around here. You, you never once. But he keeps getting elected over and over again. Uh, Dr. Leon Wynn, black conservative, ran against him. A high-profile guy. A friend of mine, uh, Lee Bessinger, who's part Hawaiian, part black, tried to run against him and didn't make it. And now we've got a, a now a white pastor running against him, Gerhard Gresham. And I, I am not optimistic. I love the guy, but I don't see any way that Gerhard is going to be able to unseat um, James Clyburn. And this is a definite problem. Yeah, because they're only going to vote for him, and they're going to come out in droves and vote for him because they're going to be lied to and they're going to uh, be told that it's a, it's a, it's a black-on-white racist thing. If, if black people would sit back and take a look at these large cities, Los Angeles, Baltimore, Detroit, Chicago, even uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, if you want you know, to really uh, throw that in the mix, and realize that things haven't changed, and who runs these cities? It's Democrats. It's been liberal politicians for years and years and years, for decades, for decades, for decades, and nothing has ever been done except further deterioration, uh, theft of money, all kinds of corruption, 
But yet, and then even when some of the leaders from these cities go to jail for corruption, they back them 100% and continue to vote for them without even realizing that they have done nothing for the cause. Kind of like Mary yep. and Barry, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He got reelected, too. Um, but you talk about you know, doing something for the cause. You have these NFL players that are kneeling. And I'm sorry, if I am paying to visit be a sports game, I'm paying for you to play that sport. My money is going into your paycheck. You have signed a contract to play the game, not to do a political rally. If I want a political rally, I'll turn on a political rally or I'll attend one. But if I'm paying my hard-earned cash to watch a football game, there better be a football game and nothing else on it. And that's my personal opinion. Yet these guys are there. They want criminal justice reform. Okay, fine. Why is it you only do your protests on the field before a game? Where were you off-season? Why weren't you touring the country holding a rally calling for criminal reform when Trump invited you to the White House to sit down and talk to him about criminal justice reform? Where were you? It's a false protest. It's a, it's a straw man protest. You're absolutely right. And, um, you know, what happens here is that they have an audience. You know, thousands of people come out to see a football game. We have a national anthem. We have a flag. And we have respect and dignity for our country. And that's exactly what should happen. They should be told to stand out on the field, salute the flag, play the national anthem, and then go on with the game. Now, you're right. Where are they during the summer months, during the other off-season months, when people are being shot in Chicago at record numbers? The number continues to escalate every weekend. Where are they in places like Baltimore when the police are being shot, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee, California, it doesn't matter, Missouri, police officers are being shot, children are being killed, children are being raped, there's all kinds of abortions going on um, in the black community, the majority of abortion clinics are in the black community, we're losing our um, babies in record numbers, but they are not there to protest that. And you're right, it, 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 it's a false thing. Half of them don't even know what they're uh, protesting about. You know, they've got three or four or five different reasons as to what it's all about, but none of them really circle back around to um, the real meaning of what they're out there for and to what Colin Kaepernick said because he doesn't even know whatever he was out there uh, really doing in the first place. We need to get back to teaching our children respect for our country teaching our loved ones respect for our country. Otherwise, we won't have a country. And if we continue to let these so-called role models deteriorate the minds of our youth, we're going to have an even bigger problem than what we're having right now. So, yeah, I agree with you, Ann. Uh, we need to uh, clamp down on this. I've written several articles on it and done several uh, interviews on this, and, and, and I really think that um, if we don't get this thing settled and if we don't stop uh, blaming the president for starting this, which he didn't, uh, we're going to have an even more serious problem. And it's breaking down families and communities each and every day that we don't get it fixed. It's funny because growing up, you were taught to respect your neighbor. 
no matter who they were or what their political opinion was. You can have a disagreement, but it's a civil disagreement. It'll be all, yeah, that crazy you know, Democrat next door, no big deal. But the kids still played together. They went to the same school. You interacted. You had your picnics together. It didn't really matter. But suddenly with the rise of President Obama, you see a complete division. And it was the tactic that gave him that office two terms in a row. Because it was something as if they fed upon. And here we are going, hey, wait a minute. We're all American. We're in this together. That's the problem. We're not looking at it as if we're all Americans in this together. No, that group against this And that is how the Democrats are staying in power. They hit one group against another. They create the victimization ideals and then say, hey, listen, you know, in order to solve the victimization, elect me and I'll throw some cash into your neighborhood. I'll I'll increase your welfare, your unemployment, your Section 8 housing, your free Obama phone, whatever it is. You know, I'll just throw some money at it. But, hey, wait a minute. Where's that money coming from? That those of us who still stay within the system and work. You're absolutely right. Again, you hit the nail right on the head. And um, they're doing this uh, through the leaders in the black community and other communities also. It's not, you know, right now their focus is, is uh, on the Hispanic and the, uh, the, uh, the immigrant uh, communities, no matter where they're coming from, whether it be uh, Somalia, uh, the Dominican, uh, Mexico, or whatever. They're, they're, they're using that same tactic on them that they use on the black community. And one of the things that's really sad is that the black people don't actually see that what's happening here is that they're actually going to be replaced by this voting block, by this group of new immigrants, because they're no longer needed anymore. Uh, They have served their purpose through the Democrat Party, and now it's time to cast them off, and it doesn't matter to these leaders in the community, you know, the Maxine Waters, the Barack Obamas, or whoever else, it doesn't matter to them um, that you were loyal to me. It's time now to move on, find us someone that we can add on to your numbers that have decreased slightly, but we can add these people in and continue to um, carry on our cause, even if you're not on the bandwagon or not. You know, with the first part I find is, is that uh, I just want to follow up with this uh, thought here, Curtis. The worst part is is that they're now starting to eat their own. In order to keep people in line within the Democratic Party, God forbid they end up speaking out and saying something nice. Because the star of Queer Eye, which I've never watched, never heard of before, but Jonathan Van Ness is under fire from liberals because he was defending Republicans, saying they're not all racist. And he was ripped apart by his fans. And he was urging his fans to be tolerant of other ideas and saying that not all Republicans were evil and racist. So even to keep their own people in line, they have to keep their own. You're absolutely right. We're seeing more and more examples of that. Um, I I was just reading something like that the other day. And um, it doesn't matter to them if you cross the line, if you disagree with their basic tenets, they're going to take you out. It doesn't matter if you're one of them or if you're on the other side, quote, unquote, when basically, as Americans, as you stated earlier, we should all be of one accord. We should, America should always come first, and that's one of the things that I like about this president. He wants America to be first. Every other nation, if you look around, every other nation, they put 
their country first, and they're trying to make things better for their country. But in America, we have a certain element that says that we were not great, we were never great, and that we can never be great again, or we weren't initially in the first place. You don't hear that kind of talk coming out of Russia. You don't hear that kind of talk coming out of Saudi Arabia or any of these other countries, only in America. And they want to try something that has never worked anywhere in the world, anywhere on the, you know, this planet. It has failed. But for some strange reason, they feel that because of America being as rich as it is, because they are enlightened to some certain degree that they can make it work here in America. Well, it won't work. And we have the testimony of a lot of people that have come from these third world countries to America that are crying out saying that, hey, we've lived this. We've come to America, and we never thought this would ever happen to America. And Americans, you better wake up. That's true. Now, for those of us us who are (laughs) pro-American, excuse me, how important is it for us to reclaim our educational system from the left? Oh, it's very important because, see, that is is, is probably 90% of the problem is that um, since the early days of progressive education, American children have been brainwashed. They have been led astray with history um, through indoctrination, uh, false teachings about our our, our historical um, landmarks, our statues, uh, even through education. Education has been dumbed down to the fact where we used to go to school to learn your reading, writing, and arithmetic, the three R's. They're not taught that anymore to a certain degree. Anything goes now. Through progressive education, especially through uh, the new education system, every answer is correct. You have your common core. You have your, your, your work, uh, your uh, school to work. You have your, um, um, I can't think of all these other different names that they've had, Uh, for education systems in these public schools. The public schools have been dumbed down. Children are not being taught geography, history, political science, civilry. They're not taught any of this stuff anymore. They're taught all of these different subjects. They're given degrees in colleges now that have no meaning whatsoever. They can't find a job. They're learning about a speckled aisle and things like that and how they can become one. They're learning about transgenderism, homosexuality, or any other kind of, uh, of uh, lifestyle that they want to live, but they're not being taught trades. They're not being taught how to balance a checkbook. They're not being taught the history and, and why it's important that the country continues to uh, stay on the path that it's on so that we can become prosperous and lead the nation in industry, lead the, na- lead the world, I mean, in industry, in education, and, and, and feeding the world through technology, uh, reaching into outer space, having a strong military, being able to protect our interests around the world, none of this is being taught anymore. So therefore, it has a, a gigantic impact because kids are not taught how to think anymore. Um, they don't know how to reason. They don't know. All they, all they have become now is mindless robots uh, believing anything and everything that these progressive teachers put into their minds. And that's why it's important for parents to teach their kids at home and to put their kids in institutions and schools that are going to um, give them a chance to challenge uh, the things that they're being taught. Well, you know, I think that gives the rise to what we're seeing now in um, 
uh, charter schools, uh, more traditional uh, religious schools. Uh, my own church, we started off just a handful of years ago from uh, first through third grade, and within not even six or seven years, we've expanded to go from kindergarten all the way up to a graduating class because people are clamoring so much for this. And with the charter schools, the parent doesn't have to lay out any additional money, but they must promise 20 hours a month to the parent. And if the parent can't do it, then a family member does. They become actively involved within the school. And I think people are turning towards these type of uh, traditional schooling because they do see their, their children failing in the public school system. Absolutely. That's it? <laughs> Did we lose yeah, that I, mean, I agree, absolutely, because um, you, you see in what's happening, too, in public schools is that they want to put everybody on the same level. You can't achieve an A besides a student that can only achieve a D. You've got to give up some of your grade or slow down your progress so that we can keep everybody on the same level. So what does that do? That then takes away the initiative for anybody to achieve and for anybody to become that brilliant star or that person that wants to uh, do something that will um, eventually make them a standout in the community, in the school. So, you know, that person could become an Albert Einstein or George Washington Carver or some great inventor, but they're being stifled by the school systems today because they want everybody to be on the same level playing field. Well, I got news for you. God didn't create us all to be robots and to be alike. He gave us each and every one of us distinct and unique abilities, and we ought to let those abilities come forward in all of our students and in all of our kids in the best way that they can use them. Uh, that is a huge right. truth to that one because when they say that – we are created equal. Well, you know, we're given an equal chance. You know, you have the right to pursue happiness, but you do not have the right to be guaranteed happiness. And the problem the left has is they want to make us little carbon copies. They want us to follow them like little ducklings in a row, stay in line, and don't deviate. But yet, because we are individuals, if I can say the word, because we are individuals, and we're proud of being strong individuals, we conservatives are being threatened because we're not following what they want us to do. We have independent thought. God gave us that independent thought. And Christianity teaches us to use that independent thought. But no, unless we fit into their little box, then we're not worth anything to them. You're absolutely right, Ann. And I really appreciate the opportunity of being able to be on today to discuss these things. And, and, and um, it's really it, it, it's an honor to get out here and to be able to, to uh, spread the word and then have people listen to you. And believe me, there are a lot of people out there in the black communities and in other communities also that are listening to our message, and they want to know more, and they want to hear more. And, and one of the things, too, that, that you asked me in, in an email was um, – how you can become more involved in um, amateur radio. So I want to make sure I cover that, too, before we get off the air. Sure, go ahead. Well, I got it. Because I, I'm a neophyte when it comes to that. <laughs> yeah, because uh, in the future, you know, this may be one of our only means. If, if, if the country begins to fight and go into civil war and they shut down our communication systems, amateur radio is going to be the only means left for us to communicate with one another. So, Ann, in your area, there's quite a few things that you can do to get involved 
and one of them is through the um, the Hilton Head Islands Amateur Radio Club, and um, they have a meeting. They meet about every two months or so, and then the next one's going to be on September the 5th or September the 6th, I think it is, uh, and they're going to be, and I can't really pronounce the name of this restaurant that they're going to meet at, but it's called the, um, it's spelled M-I-T-E-R-R-I-T-A-O. K-A-T-T-E restaurant, and that's in um, on Hilton Head in Bluffton. And then the other one is the Sun City Amateur Radio Club, and I have a phone number for them if you want oh, to contact Sierra? them. And that is 843. Yeah, right, the Tierra, the T, uh, whatever that is, yeah. And then the Me, Sun City Amateur uh, My house. Okay, and then the Sun City Amateur it's Radio Club. Okay, and the Sun City Amateur Radio Club. And their telephone number is 843-705-9923. Mm-hmm. All right. And we've yeah, got a lot of, uh, yeah, we've gotten a lot of the Tea Party people um, involved in amateur radio. A lot of them are getting their licenses and so forth because if they shut down the Internet, if they shut down all of our other means of, of uh, communications, the, the uh, cell phone towers and so forth, as, as as we have a motto in amateur radio or ham radio, we say when all else fails, ham radio. That's true. Mm. That's true. I well, I, Emery, I'll be getting a hold of you about what type of equipment stuff to to get with. But uh, Curtis, you have one last question. Go ahead before uh, he has to book and Ted Yoho comes in. Well, it's more a comment, and it's the comment is this: throughout my life. They've always had, well, they didn't always, but they came up with this Black History Month. And I just found it odd after I learned the things that I've learned that they don't define during Black History Month who were the bad guys and who were the good guys. In other words, it was the Democrat Party who institutionalized slavery. And and it was the Republican Party who liberated the black community from slavery. But they don't talk about that. They don't talk about the fact that all these black heroes that they mentioned on Black History Week were Republicans for the most part. So I think we've got to find a way to, um, to correct that and um, get the, the truth out there. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And I've been doing that and several others have been doing that all around the country. And we need to do more of it. One of the things, though, that I found and through a lot of discussions, and I've had several of them, many of them, is that, first of all, they don't believe it. They think that, they think that we are somehow telling them a false uh, narrative and that we're lying. Even when you show them in print, you show them through uh, uh, articles, through history, they don't want to believe it because they think they have been told and indoctrinated for so long that that's not the case. So it's very hard to get people who have been brainwashed and indoctrinated, indoctrinated by their leaders to believe something that has been false all of their lives, that it is false. So I understand your frustration, and I go through the same thing, and, and many of the other black conservatives that I've talked to and uh, historians, regardless of what color they are, they go through the same frustration. But we're trying. We're putting it out there, and every chance that we get, we rebut uh, the false narratives and, and, and bring up the truth. 
And what we have to do is get people to go back and do the research on their own and for themselves. And that's a hard thing to do because many liberal progressives and especially black liberals will not do the homework. Well, Emory, it's been a pleasure uh, speaking with you, and I've noted your your new phone number, so we'll be talking. Good Lord, I, you've been you've been on the show now since I started, and it's been now eight years, believe it or not. So, Emory, thank you. Uh, there's a link to armad.net on the show page, so when people listen to the podcast, they can get in touch with you and uh, learn more about the ham radio and what you do to help veterans. All right, thank you very much, and it was an honor to be here, and it's been an honor to work with you all throughout the years. Yeah, take care. We'll be in touch. All right. Thank you very much. (laughs) All right. right, Check out Emory McClendon's uh, website, which is armad, A-R-M-A-D dot net, uh, and the ham radio that he does. Um, we got our next guest up on the line right now, a congressman out of the great state of Florida, Ted Yoho. Welcome back, Ted. How are you today? Well, and actually, you've got Kat Kamak, his deputy chief of staff. He's wrapping up a meeting with a couple of veterans right now, and so he's walking over to the phone. So hang tight with me and appreciate your patience. <laughs> hey, Kat. How are you? Hey, Curtis. Hi. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing fine. Um, library you never know what happens. You never know what's going to happen on the campaign trail. We're, no, we're uh, walking... We're we're actually walking out of an IHOP right now, but uh, we'll be turning. I'll be turning this phone over to him in just a second. Curtis right. can attest and, uh, to seeing the congressman on the trail. <laughs> and you've you got your primary uh, this next Tuesday. Yes, that's right. That's right. Hold on one second. I'm going to turn it over to the congressman. All right, Curtis, what's up, buddy? Hey, how's it Hello. going, congressman? You know what? It's can going awesome. Us? I can. Can you hear me okay? Oh, we got Loudly. you, Congressman. This is uh, your host. This is your host, Annie, the radio chick. Welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Annie, right? Yes, yes, right. yes. The one and only. <laughs> okay. The one and only. Oh, man. With Mr. C.F. Bennett. There you go. Oh, man. <laughs> there is so much to talk about, and, you know, you're seeing conservative candidates being hit really hard this season. You've got uh, Duncan Hunter is under attack. Uh, everywhere you turn around, there's another someone getting immunity to testify against Donald Trump. It's nonstop. And if you're a conservative candidate out there, good Lord, you better be wearing a bulletproof vest. Yeah, you can't have thin skin. No, it really is. There is an assault coming in from the liberal left. And, uh, you know, all they have to do is watch Nancy Pelosi, if they have, if they can stomach that, and go to the C-SPAN episode where she was on the House floor for eight hours, railing and fighting for the rights of people here illegally and not worried about the American citizens. No, and we're seeing the the results of the illegal immigration here in the United States. Uh, In 2017, um, in in just the state of South Carolina, this was from um, our Attorney General Alan Wilson. uh, He's he's writing that more than 76,000 dangerous drug offenses from uh, illegal immigrants, 48,000 assaults, 11,000 weapon offenses, 5,000 sexual assaults. 2,000 kidnappings, 
1,800 homicides. 1,800 homicides. If you had 1,800 people die of any other disease, it would be called an epidemic. But we brush this under the rug because of the political correctness with illegal aliens. You're absolutely right. And you think of the words that Elizabeth Warren said the other night, that let's not politicize Molly Tibbetts. Because what we really should focus on is the children of the people here illegally and the damage that is doing. I think that's unconscionable and reprehensible. And people like that, I don't think they deserve to be in office. If they're not more concerned about the American citizens and the security of this nation, they don't need to be, they don't need to be in office because they're working against the very fabric of this country. Yeah, and it- so, all right, you have someone that comes over as an infant, have no way of knowing that they are here illegally. I can understand that. However, my own senator, my rhino senator, Lindsey Graham, or as I call him, Lindsey Graham, the see, I've gone nose to nose with this man. But a number of years ago, I think it was um, maybe 2009, 2010, a young woman approached his office and said, hey, listen, I went to get my driver's license and I want to apply for college. However, I just found out I don't have a birth certificate because my parents brought me over here illegally from Mexico. What do I do? Lindsey Graham worked out something with her where she was able to return to her native country, stay with some relatives there for a period of time, apply for entry to the United States, which he helped her do, and she was able to return legally, become an American citizen, get her driver's license, and get her, her college degree. That can be done. So when someone tells me that, no, it can't be, it can be. No, it can definitely be done, and that's what we have to do is um, go through that process, but it has to start with border security and enforcing the laws already on the book. We've got a bill coming up, and I'm, I'm very honored that Bob Goodlatte reached out to us and um, – they're taking our guest worker program for agriculture that has an e-verify component, and he had an e-verify component in his portion too. That alone would end a lot of the illegal immigration into this country because they wouldn't have access to a job without it. And employers that hire people without being e-verified would be subject to fine per incident. Well, and so there's there's some common well, sense reforms that are out there. Go ahead. Yeah, but there's only one one problem I'm finding with you verify. And a girlfriend of mine had had this happen to her, and unfortunately, she since passed away. But someone stole her purse out of her car, and there she had all of her identification. She found out later on that someone used her identification to pass an e-verify. So there's got to be a sure. component to verify that person is actually who it is. And that's the problem I, I see with it. All right. Well, the E-Verify would only be for non-U.S. citizens the way we have it written up so that the American citizens, they can't be, you know, kind of forged in that. Uh, and then when she gets her new driver's license, your friend, there would be, you know, a, a cross match. And I'll say one of these is not the right identification. And it could be tracked down that way. And so the fraudulent person would get caught. And heavily fines need to be uh, invoked. And if somebody has done that and they're here illegally and they've um, uh, stolen somebody's identity, that should be an automatic deportation. Oh, that well, it sounds like an excellent bill. So if you can, uh, Ted, if you can get that information to Curtis, and that way I can take it over to my Tea Party group and to my congressman, Stanford, 
and see if he can get behind this also, um, because that is something that I can support. Uh, you've got something else that's going on I found very interesting. You've got H.R. 5105, the Build Act. And yes, ma'am. With consolidating U.S. lending and to international agencies, tell us what that's about. Because one of the things I, I've been saying, and I've been going blue in the face: if we have a country that is not our friend, why are we sending aid to them? I agree wholeheartedly with you. And the people that know me and that stood behind me to get me elected, I ran on a platform of getting rid of foreign aid, and uh, we had standing crowds cheering. And then you get up to D.C. and you realize what you can and can't do. <clears throat> and uh, I've been criticized for bringing this bill up because it doesn't get rid of foreign aid. And I had to remind my friends in the Freedom Caucus, which I'm a member, Mark, Mark is too, um, you know, we all came up here to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. We've got the House, we have the Senate, and the, we have the White House. The American people have given us that. And we can't get rid of the Affordable Care Act and, you know, we can get into leadership's reasons. But if you can't get rid of it with a stacked deck like that, do you really think you're going to get rid of the foreign aid? And they said they agreed with me. And I said, so if you can't get rid of it, how about if we reform it and move countries from aid to trade? And if you look at our top 15 trading partners, 12 of them were once recipients of foreign aid. And so what this bill does is instead of giving cash out and we get most of the time nothing in return, we, we have a development finance corporation where we lend money out. We can invest with that country. We can invest with other countries that have that development finance corporation as an arm of foreign aid, like Japan, the U.K., Canada, so we can partner up with them now. And on, also we can partner up with private industries from small companies to large companies to do like an infrastructure project because if, if a place, a country doesn't have running water, electricity, and a marketing system, they're always going to be receiving aid from us. But if we help them build that economy based on that infrastructure, they can develop their own economy and they become trading partners. And so our whole mantra is to move from aid to trade as quick as we can. With that one bill, because when I was thinking about the bill last night, I said, what a wonderful way to help stem illegal alien uh, entry into the United States because if their country is prosperous, then why would they need to come here? Right. And so what we do is there's a an organization within the U.S. government in the foreign aid sector. It's called OPIC, O-P-I-C, which stands for the Overseas Private Investment Corporation. In 2016, we funded it at $69 million. It returned to the American taxpayers over $230 million. So it's self-funding, and for 40 out of 41 years, it's returned money in those kind of numbers to the American taxpayers. So it becomes self-funding, so the money's not coming out of the American taxpayers. It's something that the government set up. We've authorized it, and then it becomes um, self-running. And I think this is the best way to do foreign aid. Um, And it's just a smarter way to do it. And like you brought up, we met with the uh, ambassador from Guatemala. And we've gotten a lot of people from Guatemala coming to the United States because there's not an economy. And so this is a way to go down there, work with the government. And the unique thing about this is we have metrics. If the government doesn't come along with the program that we have that we've agreed on, 
that you know they have to get rid of you know their corruption level has to go down their uh, legal system has to get better they have to get these jobs in place based on the investment that we're doing with outside corporations and if they don't we pull back and so they lose that aid and uh, like you said why should we work with a country that's not willing to help solve the problem Congressman. Yeah, yeah, it looks like Senator John McCain will not be returning to D.C. Um, How, and and our prayers go out to his family and we salute him for his service, but how important is it for us to get someone a little more conservative and more supportive of this this president to, um, to fill that seat? It's imperative, Curtis. If if we don't stand, if we don't hold the majority, if we do not hold the majority, the, the gains that we have made since President Trump's been in there with the tax reform, rolling back billions of dollars of regulations, um, if you get the Nancy Pelosi's back in charge in the House and the Chuck Schumer, uh, they're going to change the rules of the Senate, and I can verify this. If you go back to two weeks before the presidential election of 2016, Harry Reid said his recommendation to Chuck Schumer, as soon as they take the majority, get rid of the 60-vote rule and go to a simple majority on everything. And so we know what their game plan is, and they will roll back the gains that we've made on tax reform, on regulation reform. Um, You'll have open borders because Nancy Pelosi and and the Elizabeth Warrens and the Kamala Harris's and the Cortez will be railing for people to have amnesty in this country. And uh, America will change forever. All people have to do is look at Europe right now. Look at France or England or Belgium. And then look at that country 20 years ago and look at the demographics of those countries today. But more importantly, the culture of those countries. France is no longer France other than the, the, the old buildings. Yeah, it is, it is a shame, and we, we have a perfect example out there with Europe, and now we're seeing the problems with Canada, with Trudeau up there. Uh, and you hear people screaming for immigration reform, but we don't need immigration reform. We just need to enforce the current laws on the books. And ISIS's hands have been tied. Yeah. I mean, we've got the laws on there, but then, you know, because of the failure of Congress to act since 1986, you know, they didn't enforce the laws on the book. They didn't secure the border. And so we've gotten, we've received 10 to 11, 12, 15, 20 million people in this country illegally. So we can secure the, secure the border and enforce the laws on the book. But what do you do with that population here? As you brought up about what happened in South Carolina, that girl that was born here or was brought here at an early age, how do you bring those people to where they're legal in this country? And we're going to have to work through that. But the important thing is we've got to fix the, the, the border security and the enforcement of law. If not, we're going to repeat it again. And uh, it's, that's just not acceptable. You know, when we say border security, people think about the, a northern wall or a southern wall. But every single state, it has either a port of entry or an airport. The those are all parts of the border. Every single state is a border state. So we can't look at just the border security itself. We have to look at you know, the entry. How many of the 9-11 attackers came in on visas and overstayed those visas? 
That's this exactly is another right. part of that. And it comes down to rule of law. If we just follow rule of law, you'll have border security, you'll have uh, immigration control. But until we do that, uh, you can pass every bill you, you want, but if you're not going to enforce it, it matters not. No, it doesn't. It does not. Um, to change the subject just a little bit, uh, something that uh, came across that I found very interesting is that uh, there's attempt to change the death tax because uh, the area that impacts the most are family farms. And people don't understand how important this is for farms because they think, all right, someone passes away, the farm goes down to the person. But often that farm gets cut up among different individuals, and they each then get hit with the death tax. In order to keep that farm working, they'd have to, they can't. They have to sell it. We You're absolutely right. Subdivisions. And we're losing our agricultural case. business. We are. I've, I've got case after case of where that's happened in my district. You know, a, a grandfather died, and the only heir was the mother and grandchildren. The mother paid, I forget, $250,000, $300,000 inheritance tax. She died about a year later, and so the family had to go through and come up with another three, dollars $400,000, you know, because the price of land went up uh, when it was right before the market crashed. So that farm got valued at about two and a half times what it was valued at before when the grandfather died. And so they wound up having to sell a lot of the farm off just to pay for it, but they couldn't meet the obligations because they still had to have the land to farm. And then the IRS went after them on a tax lien. And this is happening all over the country. And our goal is to get rid of the inheritance tax once and for all. Anybody that has that farm, their family has put blood, sweat, equity, and paid taxes on that. And that that's, that's enough taxes, and the federal government needs to keep his, their hands off of it. You know, the funny part is, is that a lot of these farms are now being cut up to be you know, subdivisions or condos or whatever, because the real estate value is higher than you would if you had a farm there. So we're we're relinquishing our ability to be self-sufficient, because the more we lose our farmland, the more we have to rely on importing our goods. No, you're absolutely right on that. And the reason America has the highest abundance of food the highest quality, and it's the lowest price in the industrialized world is because of the few farmers out there. The farm community is less than 1% of, right at 1% and a little bit less than 1% of our population. Average age of the farmer is about 59 years of age. And if we can't make it where it can go from one generation to the next, you're exactly right. And a nation that becomes indebted to another nation for food security is not a nation that has national security. Now, I don't know if Cut. this is true, but this came across some... Oh, go ahead, Chris. you got a question. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, this president has had a cloud hanging over his head ever since he took the oath, and it's called the Mueller investigation. Um, mm-hmm. Isn't it about time for this to wrap up? I mean, what should the president do to... I mean, if he can expedite, you know, within, you know, using his powers to bring this to an end for the sake of the country. Curtis, you're absolutely right. Uh, And we've been on letters calling for him to bring this to an end. Uh, Ron DeSantis has got a a good resolution. 
to bring the um, Mueller investigation to an end. Um, if you think about why it was started, and I had a very uh, lively discussion with somebody yesterday on this of a different political party than myself. Uh, it was started for Russian collusion and Russian interference. Well, it's proven that Russia did interfere in our election. We know they were in our, our, our emails. They know that we're um, putting on all this false information. However, they did not have a, an effect on the outcome of the election. And we also know there was no collusion. After a year and a half and millions of dollars spent, it needs to come to an end. That's one reason. The other reason is this whole thing of the Russian investigation was started on the premise of the Steele dossier that was all fabricated. It's never been proven. I mean, it's been proven to be false. It was funded for by the Clinton lawyer's campaign. Um, the lawyers for her campaign funded this along with Fusion um, Fusion um, Entertainment. GPS. Yeah. The lady that works there, her husband works for the investigative team. And so it's just, it's dirty. And then Harry Reid was the one that gave the dossier to uh, John Brennan. And it, it, the whole thing stinks and it needs to go away. And the FISA warrants that were issued should never have been, should never have been signed. And so there again, this thing was uh, all based on fabrication, the liberal left. And it was all to discredit Donald Trump so he wouldn't get elected, but it backfired on him. Well, we had Judge Janine on uh, earlier this month, and she agreed that it's the fruit of the poisonous tree. Those FISA warrants were based upon lies. So the FISA warrants should never have been signed. And once the investigation started to go, it should have been stopped immediately because it's still all fruit of the poisonous trees. If this was in an actual courtroom, the judge would have tossed it out after laughing his his tiny off. It, it, it's it's a whole farce. And now they're going pulling after the owner of the National Enquirer. Uh, they have the CFO from the Trump Organization. What's his name? Weisen, Weisenberg or something like that. They're giving him blanketed immunity, anything and everything to pull down Donald Trump. And yet it's all based upon the original fruit of the poisonous tree. No, you're absolutely right, and we are fighting for the very uh, foundation of this country. If you want to maintain a constitutional republic, we need to keep the Republican or the conservative party in power. We know what the the left is going to do. We've seen it. Uh, you're going to get socialized medicine. You're going to have open borders. You're going to have their idea of free everything, school, everything's going to be free. Somebody's got to pay for that. And, you know, talk to somebody from one of the Scandinavian countries. They're paying 70-plus percent taxes. And um, uh, this is just something that we don't want in this country. We're a constitutional republic. Our veterans fought for that. Not one veteran fought for socialism. So it's a very clear choice. You vote conservative Republicans in, you'll maintain our country. You vote the other way, you'll lose our country. And i got to give a shout-out to Curtis uh, he's a prolific author. I think he's up to 26-plus books, and uh, one of the light, latest ones I read was The Conservative Prodigy, and I appreciate it, Curtis. Oh, all right. <laughs> My pleasure. Appreciate that. I always forget to tell Curtis to plug his – always forget to tell you, Curtis, to plug your own website, the net. is it? .org, yeah. 
dot org. Dot org. And then you go to yeah. Latin America. And Curtis is like the, the, the giant bear, the, the big bear that's just quiet in the room all the time, and he just listens and takes stuff in. <laughs> yeah, but I, I sure put it in writing. <laughs> yeah, you do. Well, we had uh, Curtis up at our um, at our GOP, our county GOP meeting uh, last year, wasn't it? We had you and George Farrell was up here. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it was this year. This South year. Carolina yeah. exchanges with Florida. Well, that's good. Right? That's good. You got a good congressman up there in Myrtle Beach, too, my good friend, Miss Tom Rice, and his lovely wife, Renzi. Oh, Mark yeah. Sanford will be yep. leaving us, unfortunately, and... Um, yeah, you're well represented. Well, you're, you're going to love Katie Arrington. I'm going to tell you, she is an absolute doll. I know her uh, nicely. Uh, she's been to our Tea Party meeting. She was at our GOP meeting. She's been here on the show. Um, I ran around with uh, her a little bit. Um, hopefully yeah. she'll join she's the healing nicely. That's good. She's healing nicely. She's Now she's walking on her own, which is good, and she has not left the campaign trail. And, you know, uh, Tim Scott uh, jumped in to give her a hand, and um, I'm trying to think who else. There was uh, someone else that jumped in to fill in while she was in the hospital in intensive care. But, yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. Midterm yeah, and election. Yeah, you got my and I, Wilson up there. Yes, yep, yep. Joe knows me, too. Joe and his son, Alan. I ran into the uh, Joe Alan Wilson at the South Carolina Tea Party Coalition Convention, so it's always fun to run into him and talk with him. But there's so much that's going on uh, with this midterm election, and there's so many different issues up on the table. Uh, if you were to say which was the most important issue before you at this time, what would you say it would be? Um, keeping the majority is the most important issue because, if again, if they get – if they the left gets in there, they're going to impeach Trump, and we're going to roll back everything that we've done. So that's number one. Number two is Brett Kavanaugh. We've got to stay the momentum. They're supposed to start hearing September 4th. We need to get Brett Kavanaugh um, nominated and confirmed as a Supreme Court justice to swing the balance of the Supreme Court from a liberal left to a more centrist to a conservative side. And it's something that will affect this country for the next 50, 60 years, if not longer, by some of the, the, the decisions that they'll rule on. So it's imperative that we maintain the majority. And I think the last thing is people need to get out and vote. Uh, we find this all over the country in the midterms. I represent pretty much every representative represents about 730,000 people. In my district, of that, 400 and roughly 35,000 are registered. Out of those 435,000 registered, about 55,000 will vote. So that's about 12 to 13 percent that will vote to exercise, to me, one of the greatest privileges and rights of being an American to, to vote in a um, to vote in their government, to decide who their government is. And if we don't exercise that, we will lose that right. And I go to these other countries that have got new democracies that they use a democratic process. And 95% of the people will show out to vote. And we've, been, we've had that privilege for over 200 years, and people take it for granted. And if you don't utilize it, you're going to lose it. Congressman. Yeah, it, it's funny. 
Go, go ahead, Curtis. I was, I was to make a comment because I was saying that when Trump was running for election, it was the first time I saw people actually who have never voted before coming out and vote. Because I had a friend of mine, dear friend of mine, just passed away, passed away just two weeks ago. And as we were at his memorial, they said, you know, stand up and say something. And I says, you know what, you know, my friend here would always, you know, debate me uh, on politics. And even though we basically believe the same things, we always found something to discuss and, and debate over. And I kept on saying, well, if you feel this strongly, get out and vote. And he was in his 60s, heading into his 70s at the time, and he never voted his entire life. And I saw him uh, the day of the election, and he was walked into the bar with his wife, and I said, did you vote? And both of them had a huge smile on their face. The two of them, they're in their 70s now, finally voted. And I said, that was his greatest accomplishment, I think, in his lifetime, besides his family, but finally mm-hmm. getting out there and getting his voice heard and vote. So we have to yeah. get the people to be impassioned. Unless we do that, they're not going to want to go to the polls. Tom. Curtis, you were going to say something? Yeah, I, I got wind that there's a push by the left to get voting machines on college campuses. Now, I, I, I know why they're doing this, and I have mixed feelings about it. But, I mean, basically, they want to have accessible all of these brainwashed students, you know, <laughs> right there where they can vote in mass. And I, I think that could be a problem for us in the future if that happens. What are your thoughts on yeah. that? No, I think, I think you're right. I think there ought to be a little effort to go into voting. You know, if you make it too easy for everybody, it becomes that much less valuable. Um, that's why you don't give your kids things all the time. Make them work for it. You know, I mean, we were taught that. The, anything that's worth value, it's worth working for. And, you know, if you've got to drive across campus, God forbid, you know, to vote, I think that's okay. Um, you know, I, I would love to see us make it a national holiday, you know, the vote day, and have everybody vote on the, that day except for a few ex- exceptions where people are, you know, they're bedridden or, they're, you know, they can't get their military, obviously. Um, but, you, you know, we've made it where you get absentee ballots, you can get, you know, early voting, and it's just the more you you spread it out like that, I think the more fraud that you're inviting in. Well, yeah, I take it one step further. And change the day you file your IRS taxes from April 15th to that first Monday of November, and then you're going to vote on the, second, on, on the first Tuesday of November. So you're paying your taxes, and the very next day, then you vote. <laughs> you want to see the tide turn red? That would get some motivation there. <laughs> I'll pass that on to Chairman Brady of the Ways and Means Committee. <laughs> we will see a, a perpetual red tide. And Nancy Pelosi, we're going to keep our tax cuts. As a matter of fact, we probably will even pass the fair or flat tax. <laughs> so there goes the IRS. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, you know what's funny? I, you brought that up. When we're getting ready to vote for the American uh, Tax Cut and Jobs Act, Pelosi and Chuck Schumer were saying, you Republicans, if you pass this, you're not going to keep the majority. You will lose power if you vote for this tax cut. And I'm like, now, how much do you really think Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi cares for the Republicans keeping power? And I'm like, 
you know, they just must think we're just complete morons. And it's like, yeah, okay, Nancy, we're going to do that. Um, it's just, it was comical <laughs> to hear them tell us and give us a warning. If you do that, you're going to regret it. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, there's information that's coming out about the newly uh, evidence coming out on Hillary Clinton and her emails. Do you think there will ever be a full investigation on Hillary Clinton? I really do. I really do. Uh, you know, there's a group of us on there work up there working on that right now. This, uh, this Mueller investigation needs to come to an end, and the, the real investigation, if you want to look at collusion, you go through Anthony Weiner. I know this is a terrible thought. Anthony Weiner's laptop, and then you go to Hillary Clinton, Uba Abedin, Loretta Lynch, and it'll go into President Obama, and uh, you're going to find out where the real collusion is, and that's what really needs to be investigated. But only do the investigation. Yeah, only do the investigation if you're if you're strong enough to follow through and throw somebody's rear end in jail. Absolutely, because we've started to map out some of the interrelationships. Because Rod Rosenstein's wife, who happens to be an attorney, um, has represented the Clintons. Uh, I think believe she also represented Robert Mueller, uh, James Comey. Uh, so Rob Rosenstein is in charge of Mueller. Mueller was in charge of Comey. Comey and Mueller were best buddies. Mueller was Comey's mentor. Uh, and it becomes a really large incestuous circle, which then comes back around to um, the interrelationship with uh, uh, Fusion GPS, uh, the dossier. Right. It, it, it's a huge, huge scandal. But it's sitting there. It's sitting there in the back, in the deep, dark state, and no one in mainstream media wants to talk about it. It's just outlets like ours that'll bring it forward. You don't even hear about this on Fox News. No, you don't you don't hear very much about it, but you're right. That whole group needs to just be flushed out of there and they need to put common folks in there. You know, and you know, I'm a guy that never ran for politics before, never been to a town hall meeting, but we got elected because we just didn't want to put up with that stuff. And I think if you get people that aren't politically connected like that up there, they can look at thing things objectively. And they can make those decisions not based on who voted for this or who's whose friend. You're going to do what's right. And uh, that's part of cleaning the swamp, and we got a long way to go. Yeah, because it even goes even deeper because we had Admiral Lyons on uh, earlier this in the start of the year, and he mapped out with the Clintons and with the uh, Russian oil and uranium. And even that intertwines. Everything is all intertwined. So it goes even further back with Uranium One and the relationship of the Clintons. And then you come up explains why we then advanced to the point of the Steele dossier and then into this Mueller investigation. It started way back. Yeah, it does. And, you know, keep in mind, that's been a program for the Democratic Party. There's an essay written by Woodrow Wilson back in August of 1887, and it's called uh, Democracy and Socialism. And in summary, it says that the role of the federal government is to provide and, and uh, provide for the American people, that the government can provide and perform better than the individual, 
and that the individual rights become secondary to the needs of society. I'm pretty sure that's pretty much what communism says too, but that's what they've been marching to for 140 years is that mantra. And you look at Bill Clinton and Hillary tried to get Hillary care in there. It didn't work. Um, you went through uh, the Bush and then uh, President Obama gets in there and you get Obamacare, socialized medicine, the first step of it. And they're going to continue socialized programs. FDR, Democrat, brought in Social Security. um, Johnson brought in the Great Society, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, you know, big social programs, the biggest in our country. Those are the ones that are, um, you know, driving our mandatory spending. And so do you really want another liberal Democrat socialist in power? If you go back to President Obama's chant and we all remember it hope and change hope and change you know who else's mantra that was and chant it was that's the same one hugo chavez used hugo chavez (laughs) hope and change and so look at what they've done to venezuela and i'll be damned if that's going to happen here in america No, they're trying hard. Now, I I do have a pet peeve with Social Security because if I took all that money that the government took out of my check for Social Security and I invested that independently, today I would be a millionaire. Instead, I I trusted the government with my money. Social Security is my money that was invested (laughs) with the government saying, hey, listen, when it's time for you to retire, we're holding your money for you. It ended up being a huge Ponzi scheme but a Ponzi scheme that got robbed because the lockbox got broken. And now anyone and everyone who may never have ever paid into Social Security is receiving some sort of a Social Security benefit uh, or even Social Security uh, uh, for people that are poor, uh, that have no income. Suddenly they're getting Social Security. Yeah, it, it is not being used for what's intended. What I would love to see is to go back to personal responsibility and you tell the person, hey, listen, uh, maybe we'll give you so much over your taxes if you invest your money into an independent retirement account and wean people off of Social Security. No, you're right. I mean, that's absolutely right. Um, It's, yeah, Um, if you look at the numbers, back when it first started, I think there was 42 people paying in for everyone taking out. And um, today mm-hmm. there's, I think it's less than seven paying in for everyone taking out. It might even be less than that, and it's going to two, and it's unsustainable, and it really is a Ponzi scheme. And if you look at um, some of the things that have happened over the years with Social Security, it's self-evident of what happened. And um, if you've got just a second, um, the way it started out, Social Security cards, when they first came out, it was never to be used for identification. Uh, but then they started using them for identification until 1980 expressly stated that the number and the card were never to use, be used for identification. And then the old Social Security card would say that on there, and they took that off. Franklin Roosevelt introduced the Social Security program, and he promised that the participation in the program would be completely voluntarily. And uh, Mm -hmm. the participants would only have to pay 1% of their first $1,400 of their annual income into the program. Now it's 7.65%, and I believe it's on the 
first 123,000 or 129,000. And that money, um, the participants elected to put into the program would be deductible from their income tax, no longer deductible because of the Democrats. The money um, that was put into the independent trust fund rather than into the general operating fund, it was supposed to stay in a trust fund and therefore would only be used for funding the Social Security retirement program and no other program. But however, under Democrat Lyndon Johnson, the money was moved to the general fund and spent. Under Clinton and Gore, um, retirees would never be taxed as income prior to Clinton and Gore, but under Clinton and Gore, Democrats, they taxed up to 85% of your Social Security uh, 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 benefits that you're getting back, and it's a benefit because it's your money, so you are entitled to that. And so, again, when people go to the polls, they need to think. If you put a Democrat in, you're going to get these things, and how's that working for you? And so we need to make sure that people <laughs> yes. show up and that they vote, and they vote conservative, and, uh, you know, that will give to the longevity of this country. You've been very kind with people. time. Yeah, Curtis. Yeah, I think it was during the Obama administration that the wording on the Social Security checks was changed to to look more like an entitlement and a benefit or whatever, and it's really our money. What can we do to get that turned around? Um, you know, that just it, it goes back to the administration that's in place, and you're right. They did change the wording on there, and uh, it, it almost acted like it was a gift from the United States government. Um, and that administration that's in charge needs to change it, and it needs to stay that way and just says it, this cannot be changed unless there's three quarters of a vote from Congress that says we can change this. And uh, those are very difficult votes to get. Um, but it takes leadership in this country that focuses on what's best for this country, not what's best for a political agenda, you know, and we've seen both sides do this. And it's time that we have a leader and president Trump is the closest thing we've had since Ronald Reagan of moving America forward and, and going back, preserving the foundational principles of this country. And, uh, you know, if you look, Curtis, you've heard me talk about this. Our founding principles say that our rights come from a creator, not from government. Governments instituted by we, the people. Core values were, were all created equal to pursue life, liberty, and happiness, and it's held together by the Constitution. And I ask people all the time, are those Republican or Democratic ideals? And people say neither. And I said, you're absolutely right. Those are American ideologies that we all better come together yeah. at this time in the nation's history to preserve. That's true. That's, That's a huge amen on that one. You know, one I know we're running low on time because uh, we're almost yeah, back to our last 13 minutes here. I have one more question. I have to go, in. One more. All right. Um, okay. What do you see? Will, will we increase sanctions on North Korea, or will North Korea finally start to back down and make way for reunification? No, we're going to keep, keep sanctions going. I chair the Asia-Pacific Subcommittee on Foreign Affairs, and uh, our goal is to keep sending out tools uh, on sanctions. We're going after the Treasury Department, calling them out for not having these bigger banks that are doing uh, business with North Korea from China, like their agriculture bank or their construction bank. We've gone after some of their smaller banks. But we're also going after any business or entity that's doing business with North Korea. 
or looking at putting sanctions on them. Keep in mind that there were 12 nations that voted unanimously at the UN that they were going to uphold these sanctions. And so for the countries that aren't, um, we just need to tell them, you either do business with the United States of America or you do business with North Korea. You can't do both. And our goal is to, out of our committee is to keep sending what I would say ammunition or arrows in a quiver for the administration to use to bring North Korea to the table. They've got a lot to gain by, you know, denuclearizing. And all they have to do is look at North or South Korea, look at South Korea at night. When all the lights are off in North Korea, they'll see how vibrant of an economy uh, South Korea is. And it's a depiction of free people that value liberty and freedom. Well, Congressman Ted Yoho, thank you for joining us on the show. Uh, you're running for Florida's third congressional district. Uh, the primary right. is this coming Tuesday. So I wish you a lot of luck and God bless for all the hard work you do for us. Because it's not just Florida, it's also the rest of us, too. Well, I appreciate it, and it is. And if anybody has any interest, they can go to our website, tedyoho.com. And uh, please, please, anybody that's listening, please make sure people go out and vote in the primary. Um, it's just such an important thing to do. If, if your primary is already over, make sure you vote in the general. And uh, I appreciate your time. Curtis, always good to talk to you and look forward to your next book. <laughs> which is coming out soon <laughs> all right thank you um, check out congressman ted yoho if you're in florida third district make sure you get out there to uh vote in the primary this coming tuesday and chris you're going to be working the polls on tuesday too so i will not have you with me uh so we'll miss you deeply but uh the show must go on <laughs> that said right did i lose curtis Curtis, did you walk away from me? Oh, this is one of those days. Anyway, if anyone sees Curtis out there in the chat room, tell him to turn his mic back on. Anyway, uh, I came across a couple of interesting items, which I thought would make you a little bit happy here. This was on American Action News. And it appears that the Stands for Free Speech is stepping forward. Uh, an Oregon school will have to pay a teen, catch this, $25,000. And the principal has to offer a personal apology after suspending a kid for wearing a pro-Trump T-shirt. This young man, Addison Barnes, was suspended during his senior year of high school wearing a Trump wall shirt to school. He will receive $25,000 in legal fees and an apology from his old principal. The lawyers for the 18-year-old Trump supporter announced this week that Hillsborough School District in Oregon settled a lawsuit over First Amendment rights. Mr. Barnes was accused of creating a hostile learning environment in January for wearing his shirt to Liberty High School. Now, Liberty High School, of all places, and you're not allowed to have free speech, despite the fact that his teacher's room included a sign that read, Sanctuary City, Welcome Home. Isn't that interesting? Curtis, you with me now? All right. I got nothing from Curtis. <laughs> Curtis, come on. Come back on. All right. Uh, U.S. District Judge Michael W. Mosman issued a temporary restraining order in late May, which allowed the student to wear his shirt for the last few days of the school year. 
Banning Trump shirts and hats in schools is blatantly unconstitutional. The Supreme Court ruled in 1969 that public schools cannot ban non-disruptive political speech by students. In that case, in that case, Tinker versus Des Moines, four teens sued the school district after they were suspended for wearing black armbands in protest of the Vietnam War. The court ruled in favor of the students, declaring it can hardly be argued that either students or teachers shed their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. Anti-Trump school officials don't seem to have, don't seem oh, this is great grammar don't seem to have gotten the lesson. In some of the more notable cases, a New Jersey high school had to reissue its yearbooks after it photoshopped several students' photos to remove shirt logos supporting Trump. In Georgia's school superintendent had to apologize after video footage captured a math teacher telling two students their Make America Great shirts were banned and could not be worn in class. A school in Williamson County, Tennessee, blacked out broadcasts of Trump's inauguration in its classrooms. Well, guys, expect more of the constitutional violations to come, especially as we come to the midterm and then into 2020. Curtis, are you now with me? I am not hearing you at all, Curtis. No, we cannot hear you, Curtis. All right. (laughs) So Curtis is trying to see if he can get himself heard again. Try now, Curtis. Do we have you? Curtis lost sound on his end. All right, Curtis is not getting it through. Uh, I don't know if you're going to be able to dial back in, try dialing back into the show. We've got just a little over six minutes left. Um, got to love sometimes the things that are going on out there. If anyone wants to know what's going on between, behind Duncan Hunter's the attacks on him, well, the Democratic candidate running against Congressman Duncan Hunter in the 50, 50th Congressional District is 28-year-old Amar Kamper Najjar, who has family ties to the Palestinian uh, Liberation Organization, the PLO. He was taken to the Gaza Strip to be raised among Palestinians by his Palestinian father, Yasser, Yasser al-Najjar, and remained there until age 12. Gee, age 12. You know, uh, isn't that the fighting age of the jihadists? All right. His grandfather, Mohammed Yusuf al-Najjar, a.k.a. Abu, Abu Yusuf, was the radical Islamic terrorist and member of the Black September organization who masterminded the, and executed in the operation that murdered 11 Israeli athletes in the 1972 Olympics in Munich, Germany. Uh, prior to Barack Hussein Obama's election, Amar Capo Najjar was Obama's campaign deputy regional director. And after Barack Hussein Obama took office, he was appointed to serve as the head of public affairs for employment and training administration in the Labor Department. Uh, wow. Amar Capo Najjar's supporters have donated three quarters of a million to his campaign and donations come through the Muslim Brotherhood and care in all 50 states. Interesting. And you wonder why Duncan Hunter is under attack. Curtis, are you back with me? Curtis? We still don't have Curtis. I see him in the chat room. I see him in the studio and 
He got cut off. Curtis, I have you unmuted on my end. Studio looks good. Uh, I'm not hearing you. No, you're speaking, but we're not hearing anything you're saying. I'm sorry, sweetie. It looks like Blog Talk Radio has a troll out after you today. That's because you wrote another book that's being released real shortly. <laughs> so, oh, man, Curtis, I feel so bad for you. But uh, uh, people feel feel help Curtis feel better. Go to his website, the original the originalradicals.org. Check out his books over there. Curtis, we will miss you on Tuesday. Um, on Tuesday, who do we have? Uh, oh, uh, we've got the founders of Hubbook, which is a new social network that's going to try to take over for um, a Facebook. Hubbook is out there along with MeWe, OneWay, uh, Gab. So, I like these guys over on Hubbook because if you send the site creators a message, they answer right away. Uh, so he's, they're going to be joining us. Uh, Dan Perkins will be back with us also, as well as Dr. Nathanson. Uh, and then towards the end of the month, we have singer, songwriter, and patriot Mona Fishman will be with us. She's got some new stuff out that we're going to be playing. And Tom DeWeese will be joining us. And that brings us into September, which we're starting to fill up already. Gregory Wrightstone uh, will be talking with us again about the IRS and climate change. And Frank Miniter has a new book out. He'll be uh, joining us also talking about the deep, dark state uh, in Congress. But that's what I have for you guys today. It has been a lot of fun. I'm sorry that Curtis couldn't close out with us. But uh, everyone, have a great and healthy weekend. Uh, Until then, all I have to say is, Good night and God bless, and we'll close out with our closing song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. Until then, thank you, folks. You all great up in the chat room over on Facebook and YouTube. So have a safe and healthy weekend. Thank <laughs> you.